Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Blurred Box. I'm Chloe. I'm Sophie. I'm Clifford. We're missing Andrew and Pooja today, but no worries, because I hope the three of us are enough for you guys. <laughs> but welcome back. Uh, continuing off of our previous conversations, uh, the threat of COVID-19 has obviously been quite prevalent given the times that we're living in. So today we're going into education during COVID-19. We've talked about college applications process, but we haven't really talked about how all of us in high school are handling that right now. And, you know, usually um, I think it's not really necessary to say anything more than we're just doing Zoom online high school. But nevertheless, we at Stanford OHS have kind of been doing this for as long as we can remember. <laughs> so today we've brought on a special guest, our head of school, Dr. Tomohiro Hoshi. Thank you all so much for having me today. Yeah, no worries. We've enjoyed having you back. Um, we say back because we brought Dr. Hoshi on in our first season and we're bringing him back again now in an obviously very different context. And he's going to be helping us talk about something that um, hasn't been done before, I guess. Um, but Dr. Hoshi, you can definitely, you know, reiterate on that. So would you be able to tell us a bit about first how OHS has been helping other schools um, and how that kind of came about? Obviously, you don't have to. It sounds like a nice thing to do, and it is a good thing. But how did that come about, and how have you guys been doing that? Thank you, Chloe. I think that's a wonderful question. So actually, um, I think it was like late February in 2020, I was at this conference uh, run by National Association of Independent School. And late February is kind of slightly before, or you know, already you know, some COVID-19 cases were found in the US and getting you know, spread, but not as much as, right, uh, quite as much as uh, it is, of course, at this point. But people are aware of COVID-19 to some extent, and schools kind of started exploring their options and kind of understanding what they may need to be doing in case schools need to close down and so forth. I don't think too many schools were already closed down at that point, but that's the kind of uh, time that uh, it was then. And I was at that right, conference, National Association of Independent School Conference, NAIS conference. So people naturally, right, like school administrators and teachers in that conference started talking about Right. Oh, yeah. What should we do, and so forth. And then, you know, some uh, kind of keynote time for the conference uh, were replaced with COVID nineteen topics. You know, you know, previously other topics were scheduled, but uh, kind of uh, impromptu, almost. Uh, you know, uh, sessions were scheduled on COVID nineteen and so forth. So, so I really felt right. Oh, now like we should be able to. Uh, support other schools, right? And then they are asking the exactly the same questions, right? That we were asking like 15 years ago or things like that, right? You know, how we do online teaching basically, right? So, and then, you know, as I was thinking about that, indeed, right? People surrounding me, right? Well, uh, you know, I know you are from Stanford Online High School. What do you do? Uh, and how do you do this and that? So I already was getting those questions. So before I came back to California, uh, I already called some of our uh, assistant heads, 
her name is Dr. Uh, you know, Faylar, uh, and she helps me with these academic operations and so forth. So, so I told her, like, oh, we should be, you know, the, the situation has been this way. So we should be making this website, and hopefully maybe in a few days we should launch it because now is the time that other teachers really need this and that the schools need this. So instead of targeting a very comprehensive guide or tutorials for uh, online teaching, we really wanted to kind of get some information out as quickly as possible about how to launch anything. And that was kind of uh, the initial idea of the website and you know, kind of a communication that happened kind of late February uh, at the beginning. So I will probably stop at that for now. And then, you know, there are some other projects we did, but am I hitting the right part of your question so far? To expand on what you said, could you give us a little bit more insight on kind of the resources OHS provided other schools and like what particularly were they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, as you are uh, giving me that question, I was going to open up the website we created, but given the nature of the website, right? As I said, we wanted to give the initial few steps, right, uh, to be helpful for everybody. We've, I think, uh, we moved it down recently, I think. Now I recall that conversation I had with our tech folks. This is now kind of too outdated. Like everybody has done something already, so let's take this down. But anyhow, uh, the website really included the kind of uh, first few step again, right? Like, you know, if you are to teach your student online, here are the kinds of things you need, right? First, if you want to have a live class, you might want to have something like this. If it's Zoom, that's fine, but some sort of a video conferencing system to uh, get connected with your students. And not only that, if you have any bandwidth with us, um, certainly, you know, only having video conferencing system would let you connect with students and maybe that's what you need for tomorrow. But as you start doing these things, you might want to have some sort of learning management system, right? Uh, where you can share your course materials or the students can submit their work and so forth. And here's the kind of learning management system you might you know, think about using, right? So those kinds of things. And um, you know, right now at that point, right? Like back then, late February, again, uh, not too many schools were already in position to start, uh, you know, online teaching or, you know, th that, that was before lockdown, really, right? So have this and that kind of plans, right? For your day one, you would need your tech team convened at least, right? But you are, you may have a, you know, tech team in your school at this point, but obviously if you want to do an online school for the, right, you need a, you know, bigger one to think about it. And definitely think about communication strategy, right? On day one, you gotta be able to reach out to your students and families to say, oh yeah, <laughs> this is it. Now it's gonna be online. So what's your communication strategy? So, so those kinds of like things that people we thought would need uh, for the first few days of online teaching. And uh, we created videos, some of our uh, continuing teachers uh, were featured in those videos. And uh, we, we put relevant documents there. And as we went, uh, we got pretty good feedback from people. So we wanted to have some live webinar going. For the first one, I felt like we had about, like up to like 20 hundred people signed up for it, like from like, probably like up to 50 countries, I think. 
Wow, that's really uh, impressive. And, yeah, so that was pretty good. And um, and uh, as we went, you know, first one was really on generally um, like how to start uh, online teaching. But later we kind of had a had more focused topics like counseling or student life and so forth and featuring different folks in our school. Uh, so we had that. And we also, you know, indeed um, provided some videos and comments from uh, families and our own students and so forth, uh, which actually were even more popular than what teachers created at the beginning, really? right? Because, you know, yeah, yeah, because, right, like there are more, you know, students and more family members of them than teachers themselves, right, arguably. Sure. So naturally, students, right, who are suddenly forced to be an online student wanted to know, right, like, what it is like to be an online student or, right, uh, families of online students. So, so those are pretty popular sections as well, yeah. Sure. Have they had any, like, influence, do you think, on uh, the brick-and-mortar community and how they perceived online school in general, perhaps? Because, you know, the, the, there's a stigma, and I'm pretty sure you're aware of this, against online school in general, you know, where they're like, oh, there's a longstanding joke in OHS for for those of you who don't know that they'll be like, oh, you where what school do you go to? And you'll be like, oh, I'm like I'm online, and they're like, oh, so you're homeschooled? And they'll be like, uh, <laughs> what do you mean like by that? They're like, oh, you you sit in your pajamas at home and you know you're online and you don't do much. And we're like, yeah, you're not wrong, but th- but the last part that that's kind of niche. <laughs> so like yeah, going back to like the question, what was the perception of OHS? Um, if anything changed from those videos, as you were saying? Oh yeah, that really hugely right. Like I, I agree completely. Like. Um, seeing actual students, right, and seeing supportive families and, you know, kind of having the sense of, oh, yeah, there is this really great community, it seems like, in this school. How can we really make that happen, right? So that, that kind of thing, right, yeah. can't be solely done by these teachers or, like, administrators, like, videos. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it helps uh, really tons. And uh, indeed, uh, the first webinar, right, so which has got like probably like a couple of thousand registration, it indeed like increased towards the kind of later part of the project. So we launched a um, free course through Stanford Continuing Studies, uh, open to all educators. And there was also kind of a smaller, like more hands-on part, which came with a little bit of a tuition, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, so that like continuing studies free course uh, had I think up to like eight thousand registrants, and uh, we definitely made the recordings accessible to all educators afterward, and then it had I think uh, you know several tens of thousands of views I think, and then also kind of some school districts in the U.S. even used that as a tutorial for their uh, public schools and so forth. So uh, differently, uh, we are so proud to be able to uh, at least provide some, um, you know, support for good number of uh, educators. That's awesome. Um, Clifford and I actually were talking about something earlier before we started po- the the recording in regards to how brick and mortar schools have responded to the online learning environment. Clifford, I think you can expand a bit more on what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, well, I think we were, we were talking about whether you know this transition to online school during COVID could produce a permanent trend towards 
online schooling possibly as a branch for physical schools that already exist or even more schools like OHS popping up um, to provide this kind of education as people start to see that it has more merit. It's not just that homeschooling in your pajamas type of thing that the stigma says it is. So do you think it's possible for a change like that to occur in the education system? Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, I would like to also point out, like this is not like just my prejudice, right? Like any kind of prejudice from head of online school, <laughs> like it would be that, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, more, more online education and such. But, you know, already prior to COVID-19, right? That trend was already happening in a very large scale manner, right? Like, as you guys know, I think. So uh, for instance, Right, um, the kind of world um, education market itself uh, is currently about like eight trillion trillion US dollars, right? And then prior to COVID nineteen, so like about two two thousand twelve, uh, sorry two thousand nineteen to twenty, uh, the about the two percent of the market was uh, you know for uh, digital learning, and then most of it is like in, in some ways like online education, right? And back then, right, so like a couple of years ago, right, uh, it had been already projected that the digital learning market was going to be one trillion. So it's going to be more like a more like 10% or 10% plus of uh, the entire world's um, education market in 15 years. So this is prior to COVID-19, right? But with COVID-19, now it's projected. So, you know, uh, 160 billion US dollars in 2019 will be uh, one trillion in about 80 years, so 2027, right? So it's more than 10% of education is gonna be online, right, worldwide. So uh, it's not just because of COVID-19, but the trend was already there, but as is in all other kind of uh, situations, right? COVID-19 only simply kind of shortened the time or accelerated the uh, already existing momentum. And then those are even like with some quantities I, I just mentioned, right? And also, right, uh, if we understand, like if we look into the kind of a world population demographic and right, like a population study, right? Uh, for instance, uh, UNESCO uh, has this research saying, uh, right now we have about, um, well, let's say, let, let me take a step back. So let's say like 20 years ago, right? A couple of decades ago, um, there were uh, 100, 100 million college students in the world, right? And then in a couple of decades, that got more than doubled. So uh, 2020, last year, there were about 250 million students, uh, college students, right? And then what happens then in the, in the next 20, you know, 20 years, right? Uh, UNESCO goes, it's going to be 600 million. So it's, again, more than doubling. So it's like uh, the number of college students are going up exponentially. And like when we understand the population in Africa and, and so forth, right? So in some ways, right, uh, it's hard for us to expect to keep building buildings Right for colleges, and then kind of even in the, in the speed that's faster than, right? Uh, you know the kind of rate of building built in various countries and so forth. So some parts necessarily need to be online and such, right? Uh, because of the way that the population grows and the kind of speed of human being making buildings and so forth, right? 
So, uh, so I think differently, uh, online education used to be an exception, right? But now, prior to even COVID-19, that was coming to the central stage of education, not online education, like education. Uh, you know, one in, you know, one in three uh, college students prior to COVID-19 were taking some online courses in college. Like 80% of public school teachers were using some kind of online education every day, right? So that was, that was already happening prior to COVID-19. So with all this trend, I think what you are saying is going to happen. More of online uh, teaching and learning coming into the traditional learning uh, space. And not only that, kind of as you were saying, it's not going to be binary, right, any longer. So, like, you know, in the past, it's been like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, online school or, right, like, you know, are you a homeschooled or, you know, online school, yeah. But then, right, or uh, in-person schools, right, tra traditional brick and mortar school. So that's binary, right? Okay. But now it's more about how much of online education do you want to have in your school, right, brick and mortar or not. In our school, some online high school, it's more like, what would you say, <laughs> would you guys say, like maybe 99%, 98%, like depending yeah. on how much of a residential, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, but then there are schools which are more like 70 to 30 or maybe mm -hmm. 20 to 80, like, et cetera. So it's going to be a pick by the schools in the future. And it's already happening in the, as you say. Mm, okay. I have like two things to add on there because that was a lot of good stuff and so much things to address. But one of them being, I guess, straight off is that, uh, do you see then that OHS within our school would be incorporating more in-person stuff in, you know, in line with everything you're saying with, uh, you know, the combination of like now a larger percentage of things in person? Because like, uh, from students' perspective, and Sophie, you can attest to this maybe, but like online school, I've been in this school for like the last seven, eight years, pretty much. And we, I'm international, by the way. So maybe for me as an international student, I feel like it's 100%, even though we have like summer at Stanford, that's like two weeks of a summer course where you go to Stanford University, for those of you who don't know, and uh, you take some courses with your instructors, you get to actually meet all your friends that you've made online. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily... Um, give you like you know an extra credit to your grades or something but it's just like something interesting about like a course that you take interest in to get to know your peers and etc um that I would say is 0.5 percent of my <laughs> entire high school experience but nonetheless it doesn't um stain my whole experience overall anyway because the whole point of this school in my opinion is efficiency and not just efficiency for those that that need it because of our lifestyles, but just the the efficiency of learning, of getting in and out of class, of, of accessibility, things like that. Um, so going back to the original question, is OHS probably going to go in that direction in line with what you were previously talking about? Well, so I think that, right, let's say like, everything minus COVID-19, I guess, right? Yeah. So over the past several years, we've been differently working on this kind of project of having a bigger list of right, in-person opportunities, right? Uh, That's yeah, exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, over the last, you know, several years, right? Like, for instance, you know, 
there's this thing called like pixel festival, like early February, right? And then also other kinds of important events are being enhanced, like MIT Splash and, uh, you know, graduation weekend, like those three full day events, which, you know, weekend with 20 events where it, was, it used to be much less, right? Like, you know, six years ago and such. So we intentionally enhanced those uh, futures without require, requiring any of that, right, uh, to any students, because we definitely also wanted to enhance flexibility, right, as you say, Chloe. So, you know, students who, you know, might want to do more of the in-person stuff, including regional, right, uh, regional, you know, at our school, there are regionally coordinated events, right? Uh, some students are, uh, you know, attending those pretty, pretty frequently and so forth. So students, you know, who want to do those things uh, to a good extent should be able to do that. While students who might not be even living in one single space in, the, you, know, uh, you know, the world, right? There are those students in our school as well, right? Might, you know, enjoy this consistent education without, Right, having any kind of uh, physical interactions with other students regularly. So, definitely, we might, you know, at this point, though, like, you know, in our school capacity, like, kind of significantly more in person opportunities, I think we need to increase our staff members and so forth, which might you know, have some implications for tuition and so forth. So, we are not immediately going into that sort of direction. But, um, you know, whatever happens, though, in the future, I think the level of flexibility, as you mentioned, that's a part of the core of the school. So design your education is what I always say, right? So we should, you know, in our school, students should be able to design their own education, like their own course design, I mean, the curriculum design, et cetera. So I think that's gonna remain, no matter, you know, how much of the in-person events might be throwing, thrown in in the future. Gotcha, okay, thanks for answering that. And I guess I have a quick follow-up and it's kind of similar, but in a different direction. So you've been talking a lot about like in-person, but then giving the people the opportunity and going back to that original stigma that we talked about, I think a lot of people think online schoolers are socially inept. I know I've gotten that a lot, but I personally don't think that's true at all. And it's, I feel like I've gotten really strong bonds with a lot of people and a lot of my friends. And I think it has something to do with OHS having this strong emphasis on social emotional learning, SEL is something I've been hearing a lot. But I guess I feel like that perhaps sometimes schools when they're transitioning to online, especially now, they kind of forget that. And then students in their schools kind of feel isolated, unsupported and less motivated because I know it's kind of hard not seeing your friends in person. And if you don't have a lot of support there, it's hard to transition. So I know OHS has been dealing with that a lot. So could you just give me in a little insight on like how OHS specifically helps with SEL and also perhaps how you're helping other schools with that? Yeah, I completely agree. Like when I was, you know, again, like at the beginning of all this, right, COVID-19 in a pandemic time, the first thing I was telling like other you know, schools is like, yeah, I know it might take time for you to have a full program, but tomorrow you can connect with students right now <laughs> by using Zoom, right? Do that, right? And then while doing that, like maybe you can think about like how to deliver academic content and so forth, but you know, there's no excuse. Like, I mean, if you want to connect, you can connect with students tomorrow, 
right? So do that is what I was saying. And and yeah, definitely the community and uh, you know social emotional development of students, and I, I think that's really a key thing. And I mean, without those kinds of things, I don't think really good online education can be done, right? So uh, I think you know it's not a like fake gesture or anything. I mean, it's an essential part of the learning process. I think that the school really needs. So how we do that indeed then is really kind of represented in the core aspect of our uh, educational design. So our school uh, is based on, of course, as you guys know, like this um, uh, methodology called uh, flipped classroom. So uh, live meetings um, is, uh, you know, uh, in live meetings, students interact with each other and having discussions on topics and solving problems together, et cetera, et cetera, right? So those would give students to uh, talk with each other, of course, and right, practice perspective taking. Uh, our core curriculum is based on philosophy and kind of students are regularly talking about things that they might disagree on, right? And even some touchy topics in some courses. So by doing those kind of things day by day, right? In addition to, right, you know, sometimes there should be some general guidance like, oh, this is what SEL means and you should think about this and that sort of aspect. Learning that alone wouldn't, right, like help students develop social emotional skills. With that, we need to really have students, right, immersed uh, in this kind of practice of respecting others and, you know, uh, seeing different perspectives and so forth. And even in our case, right, students are coming from other parts of the world, right? Even, right, uh, if we focus on the United States, right, particularly at the kind of a secondary education level, if you are coming from another school, it's as if you are coming from another culture. And that's an exaggeration I know, but, you know, school, you know, for some students, particularly when they go to a school full time, that's a really huge part of not not to, not for everybody right like in some cases or many cases right that school is a big part of their life so if you come from different school right it's a huge difference but we now you know in our school we have you know single course students part-time students who might come from other schools or homeschool environment right uh, interacting with our own full-time students so that it, that already creates this diverse perspectives uh, and certainly, like, you know, maybe students are coming from other countries and so forth. So, so there are lots of different perspectives, and students are kind of thrown into that kind of live seminar classrooms uh, in which they have to be <laughs> interacting with those students really productively. So that's really the basis of our educational program, uh, in addition to those additional SEO programs. So, so that's how important it is, you know, a school, as you say. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel that as a student too, it, like our needs in that sense are definitely catered for. And that's obviously a huge thing like we've been talking about because it's important. Like, you know, we're, we're humans, we're not robots, even though we might try as hard as we do to <laughs> operate as efficiently as they do. But um, before we kind of go to one of my last questions before we wrap up, I, um, Clifford, did you have one question you want to add it in quickly? Um, yeah, so, and first all, I was going to say, so um, you brought the flipped classroom, and I was thinking about that because my school has obviously made the transition from physical learning to online learning. I was watching um, some of the lecture on your webpage about 
on flip classroom. And I feel like my school has not entirely embraced that because I don't think we're, we're fully embracing the opportunity. I think too much of class time is devoted to lectures and reading things. And so I can kind of notice how my school might not fully be taking the advice of OHS's materials. So looking at the entire state of these physical schools that have made the transition, do you feel that the schools that have seen OHS's materials or even the ones that haven't have been doing a good job? Is there something that you would tell them? And on the flip side, um, is there anything that you've learned from other schools making the transition that you hadn't thought of about online learning? Oh yeah, definitely tones. And um, the first thing I've been telling folks uh, when I talk about it, any like online learning or education tips or advice, I've been, I've been telling people that there is no such thing uh, as online education methodology, right? Uh, like there isn't any like single teaching methodology, right? So teaching is done for particular group of students for particular purposes. And uh, I think there are different kinds of implementations of general methods of teaching. Uh, in that specific context. So I don't actually think that the methods that we use at OHS should be used for other schools. And this kind of sounds so clean, like I, I think to say, but I do truly believe in like a multiplicity of the methods and multiplicity of needs and so forth. And I, I think teachers and schools shouldn't really lose uh, sight of it. So we have our own recommendations and actually those recommendations might not be uh, applicable to you actually, right? But if you have anything to learn from this and any parts of that like may be helpful if you think, then please go ahead and then maybe we can help. And then as you try to do something different from what we do, we can learn from you guys. That's been my uh, attitude. And maybe I'm, I'm almost kind of repeating your question there, right? But uh, certainly uh, some things I particularly learned, right, uh, by looking at what other schools have been doing is I, I had a firm belief that like before COVID-19 time, right, um, this online, like intensive online learning or teaching thing is not possible at all for like, let's say, elementary school level. And I think it's still tough. And I did still think that it's very, very tough. But I don't think it's impossible at this point because there are some great schools which pull out that sort of thing, like even for like lower level elementary school and, and so forth. So, so that was one big surprise to me in learning. And there are, there are more, but uh, I definitely learned much from uh, you know, really great educators uh, around the world. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think um, one of the questions I had is pretty much in line with that, and forgive me if it's a repeated question, but, you know, there are people who would say that online learning just isn't for them. You know, you, you've definitely heard that. Mm -hmm. um, people would say like, oh, just it doesn't work for me, you know, like I, I can't focus it just doesn't align with my, <laughs> Sophie's own brother says this, like you hear that very often, especially now, you know, they'll be like, you know, I just can't focus. Like I, it, no hope is basically their attitude to it. Right. Um, and I wonder from our conversation, whether that's on the student or whether that's on the approach that their respective schools have taken 
to teaching them virtually. So I'm curious to know what your st stance is on that. Do you think that for the people that online doesn't work for, is it that students or some students just innately or inherently don't have a taking to online learning? Or is it because of the school and how they've approached that for their students? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So to me, right, like it's pretty strange if any person said, oh, education isn't for me, right? So at this point, online education isn't for me, sounds like that to me, right? Because it's just all depends, and then kind of as was probably indicated, like implied by your question there, right? Like it just depends how you do this online education thing for you, right? And then maybe how much of it, right, might matter as well. And so I think that it's not just about online education, but when a student says, oh, this textbook isn't for me, or this, you know, method of learning isn't for me, right? Uh, I think like, my general recommendation is, yeah, that might be the case, right? But just, you know, think, and again, I think as your question recommends, right, uh, ask really, right? You know, just kind of be, like uh, give a kind of a bit of skepticism about that feeling, and then think about how you could best use what you are using. And then kind of try that out a little longer than now, right? You know, quitting can't be done anytime, right? So, and then kind of give a benefit of doubt to that sort of methodology and try to use it, you know, for your best, you know, uh, interest. So that's been kind of my general sense. So I can't really kind of say like, oh, this kind of nature or like a personality or like this kind of non-cognitive skill is needed or a bad for, online education, right? Because it, it just so depends on like how you do it. Like again, online education is bad for you. It sounds like uh, education is bad for me. Like it just depends on how you do it. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree. Um, that's probably something that we should continue saying to other people, I guess. And with that, thank you so much, Dr. Hoshi, for coming on and giving us such insightful and valuable information as to how OHS has been a valuable player in this field of virtual learning, I guess, during these times. And um, for those of you who are not as familiar with our school, our platform, and things like that, um, you can go to, I think, ohs.stanford.edu online, and then you should be able to find one orange tab that kind of asks you um, to go and see how to create an online classroom and a whole bunch of the resources and database information we've been talking about throughout this episode, you can find there and a lot of um, insightful videos as well that we touched upon. And uh, Dr. Hoshi's advice can also be found there. So with that, thank you so much again, Dr. Hoshi for coming on. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Oh yeah, I enjoyed this conversation very much. Thank you so much for having me today. No worries. Thank you so much. We hope to have you again soon. And thank you all for listening to Blurred Box with Chloe, Sophie, and Clifford today. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Be sure to join us in two weeks for another episode of Blurred Box. We release episodes every other Sunday. We would love to hear your feedback, suggestions, and questions, which you can email to blurredbox88 at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Blurred Box for the latest updates. 
And shout out to those audio and video editors, Moshe Krause and Xiaoyin Zhang. Thank you guys for listening to another episode with Blurred Box. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.